There we go. <laughs> Let me back up here. We'll save some feedback for our friends in the booth back there. How y'all like these flowers? Do y'all know that those are award-winning state fair flowers? Yes, grown by our very own Caitlin Didums, who was just right here a second ago. So, oh, sorry, Caitlin, I had to highlight it, you know. It's so good. We have award-winning folks here with so many talents and so many amazing things they do. So exciting, y'all. Y'all doing okay? Enjoy that extra hour of sleep? Yeah, who didn't know about it? Hey, there you go. I love it. Yes, yes, surprise, surprise. <laughs> so good, so good. Hey, guys, well, we're... Uh, in this amazing series in the book of Isaiah, we've been kind of walking through it the last few Sundays. And uh, as I was prepping this week, I was thinking about um, prophets, because Isaiah was a prophet, right? And I just think they're, just the idea of a prophet is so cool, right? Not just the fact that they speak for the heart of God or they're, um, you know, they're, they're just, they're bringing the word of the Lord to people, but just the idea of them. A, that God is a God that loves his people so much that he actually still interacts with the world that he created, that he's a God that cares enough to speak. He's not passive. He's active into our lives, but also the fact that he actually uses humans. Now, God, there, there are stories in scripture where God's used other things. I mean, probably the most famous would be like a burning bush, even used a donkey one time. I mean, God, God will use things to speak. That's why I think, I, I think if I heard a donkey talking, well, A, I'd be probably looking to run, but if it's saying speaking from God, I probably tend to like, well, that's not normal. Okay, God. But if I had my friends speak to me, I'd be like, yeah, what motives do you have? That's cool. Yeah, maybe that's God. Maybe it's not, right? Because we're fallible humans, and we know our own fallibleness, and we also know our own hearts. And so it's really, I think it's pretty amazing that God uses humans to be his voice. And Isaiah, as you know, he was one that people didn't believe at first, and later with some of the words he said came true, they started paying attention a little bit. Um, I had this story, this was years ago, I think I was about 18 years old, and um, a friend of, friend of mine uh, and I, we decided to go to this church in Charlotte. Um, I grew up in a charismatic church, this was another charismatic church. They've been meeting every night, we see the Spirit of God moving, and we wanted to go check it out. So we drive down there, and we're pretty excited. Um, and if, if you ever heard of John Mark McMillan, that you know, sings uh, How He Loves and such, this is his home church. So we're going down there, and we, you know, we're, this is a really cool spot. And uh, we get there, and we're ready to worship and, and love the Lord. And then we see this, op- there's this, like, option that people had where they can go to, like, these, like, booths or, like, you know, the cubicle set up and multiple ones. And they had people who had been praying and fasting in there all day. And they uh, were there. You could sit down and get a word from the Lord, a little prophecy. And I'm like, all right, that's kind of interesting. And so me and my friend went over there and waited in the line in our different booths. I, I mean, I didn't know. I was like, am I going to walk around the corner and see, like, Madam Cleo, the mystic, going to read my palm? Or, you know, like, what's happening here, right? And, uh, right, Cole? <laughs> and uh, we get in, I get in there, and it's, it's nice. I mean, they sit down. There's a couple of them, and they're praying over me. And we're having a good time with the Lord. And they start speaking some words over me. And, and one of them starts to say, you know, like, and I'm and like 18, 19 years old. They said, I see the Lord telling me that you're going to meet your wife and be married in six months. I'm like, well, okay, you got my attention. I'm sure that was on my plan for the next six months, but okay, God. 
right? And uh, well, in reality, I didn't meet my beautiful wife for another 14 years. So <laughs> it's like, okay, was that real? Was that something like, like this? But the odd thing was that uh, my friend who came with me met his wife and was married in six months. Yes, so I was like, little, I don't know, the lines got crossed or however that worked, but so cool. But in that, you know, it's like humans are fallible, yet God chooses to speak. Now, I've had wonderful people who speak the word of the Lord in my life, and they're very accurate and very true. But uh, it's, I just think it's interesting how God uses humans and how it's hard to understand and believe a lot of times. And this is a lot what Isaiah experienced. So as we've been walking through uh, the last couple weeks, um, or last three weeks, here that Pastor Justin's been bringing this first half of the book. So, the, so Isaiah, the book is actually split in two halves. Uh, so uh, chapters 1 through 39 is this place where Isaiah is speaking to the people, telling them of the judgment of the Lord coming if they don't turn their ways, if they don't look to continue with the covenant he has made with them if they don't continue to take care of the poor around them. Well, as we learn, they do not. So this does come true. And they find out through the this people or the nations of Assyria and Babylon, they come and they destroy, the, uh, destroy Israel. And they capture the people, put them in captivity, send many of them out into exile. They've lost their home. They've been sent away. Now, they heard God speaking, but they didn't listen. So then we turn the page. So chapters 40 through 66 is this new turn. There's this new turn that happens, and it's the book is more about them coming home. The exile is over, and they have been released to back to their homes. If you want to read that story in detail, you actually can find that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you're doing an Isaiah study, I would just highly recommend just taking a little detour into that space, kind of get the details of that story and where we are in the book. But the book has now changed its theme. It was a theme of judgment. Now it's a theme of restoration. But it's a restoration that God comes and he personally interacts with. This is God-led restoration. God both does this in divine might and in compassion. There's no more destruction, only redemption. No more death, only life. So where the first half of the book, the people didn't listen. The second half, God is speaking, and they're listening. Now, who are these people that, he's listen that are listening? Who are these people that God is speaking to now? So in this part of the book... It has been about 150 to 200 years since the prophet Isaiah died. Yeah, you might be thinking, well, how did that happen? What, a lot of scholars believe that he had written down so many uh, prophecies and words and poems, and his people, his disciples, kept those, and they passed them down. And then at this time, they released them and spoke in to the people. He anticipated, or the, or the Lord has spoken to him, that there will be a time of restoration. It was part of the plan. And so they release this, the, these passages, and they, um, they're released to a people that are very unique. This is not the same people who heard the warning of judgment or the warnings to correct their ways. This is a people that have only ever known exile. They've only ever known being scattered. They've only ever known being captives. Their homeland has been in ruin. They lost family connections. They lost places of worship, lost ability to celebrate holidays. They're children of veterans of war. They're children of veterans of exile. 
and they're aware of their parents' failures and their grandparents' failures. They only ever knew war, captivity, displacement, lack of identity, and loss. These are the people tasked to rebuild Israel. So Israel was once a great nation built by King David, set up and doing very well for many years, and then this happens. And now this broken, grieving people who've only known loss are challenged to rebuild a nation in a world full of empires. So what is God saying now? What is God saying to these people? This is where we pick up today. Here in Isaiah 40, the first words in this new chapter, in this new page turner, you hear these words of compassion. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So we instantly see a shift in tone. No judgment, just compassion. God is speaking to their grief. He's, and he's also reminding them that they are his. This term, my people, they would have understood what he's saying. This is the term that God had used in the previous covenants with Abraham, that you will be my people. Where they lost their identity and lost who they were, he's now restoring that. He's saying, you are my people. That covenant, those covenants and those promises that God had made with the people of Israel, the, the family of Abraham, he has not forgotten, has not abandoned. That the covenants with Adam and Eve, Noah, Moses, Abraham, and David will not be lost to history, will not be lost to the things of the world, will not be lost to sin. So he restores their identity. He makes them new. He, builds them, he gives them hope. And this is the people who are going to rebuild. This is the people who are going to restore. And he works within them to do so. That the redemption for the whole world will still remain through the people of Israel. He holds true to that. Then he keeps speaking here in verse 2. He says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and to proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Some translations, if you were reading along with me, you might have said instead of the service ended, it would have said the warfare has ended. He's changing their status. They're no longer a people of war. They're a people of rebuilding and restoration. The terms of their military enlistment is over, is complete. It is now time for healing and restoration. So God is speaking now, and he has their attention. And he keeps going. And this is where it really gets good, y'all. In verse 3, you see two things very specifically happening. And this is something that happens through echoes throughout history. And they're very important. He says, we'll see two things. He says, one, that when God hears the cries of his people, he comes to set them free. And two, he's the same loving God who shows up every time, no matter what. He's consistently loving and consistently with his people. Let's read along here. He says, in verse 3, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So for the Israelites, instantly they would have heard this, these words, and they would have heard wilderness. So for them, wilderness will hearken back to their history. They probably would instantly have thought of the Exodus story, the story where their people was for 400 years in captivity and slavery in Egypt. 
the reigning largest empire of that time. And they hear the cry, and we read an Exodus story where they cried out, Lord, save us, redeem us, free us. They're automatically brought back to that space. And what does God do? God does that. He restores them, sets them free, and leads them through the wilderness to the promised land. This is what they would have been hearing and understanding. Okay, God, you're doing it again. He breaks the bondages of slavery, and he sets people free to freedom. But this echo throughout history, throughout their history, through what they're attached to, their characteristics, and whoever, who they are, oh yes, God is here again. He is leading us to freedom. When we cry out, he comes. His promises are always true. So you get in this point of this backward perspective. They're seeing the Exodus story unfolding again. And they may even see in some other spaces where they see David as a child coming and taking down a giant with just a sling and a, and a harp. Or you may see stories of where Gideon leading an army undersized compared to who they were and rescuing people and God had done for them and stepping into that place. It's again and again throughout their history they see this echo of God stepping in and making a way out in the wilderness. We have to know this, the path to freedom does always come through the wilderness. But then there's a way. There's a way. So for the Israelites, with this, ex this echo of the Exodus story, they see also the way out. They would have automatically thought of this pillar of fire that led their people through the desert. They would automatically have thought of Moses, who God was speaking through and guiding them and leading them. They would have thought about Mount Sinai, where this mystical cloud just descends and sits upon it, and God speaks through it and brings them the law and creates everything who they are. This is what has been their reminder that the challenges that the wilderness brings, that the way always finds them. This echo through history is so important. Now, you may have heard this passage, the way in the wilderness, God's going to bring a way through the wilderness. And you may have like, wait a minute, I've heard that before. I've heard that in other places. If you're thinking that, it's very true, because you will find it in the New Testament. Actually, you will find it in all four Gospels. In Matthew 3, 3, Mark 1, 3, Luke 3, 4 through 6, and John 1, 23. This exact scripture in Isaiah is quoted by all four Gospels, by all four writers seeing that the importance of this echo is happening again. Again, God is speaking through a fallible person, somebody that people didn't believe and some who did, many questioned and thought was crazy. His name was John the Baptist. And we see the reference that each one of the four Gospels is saying, listen to this man, because what God has said thousands of years ago to our people when we needed to rebuild, he's saying it again. So where the people in Isaiah's time would have heard this and heard something going backwards, now in the New Testament they're saying, look backwards, but now there's a forwards. We're looking forward in the way. Again, in their time, it, when John the Baptist is speaking, there's a way coming. There's someone who's coming. There's someone who's so special. Someone I can't even, I'm not even like honorable enough or I'm not even worthy enough to tie their own sandals, tie their sandals. Someone's coming better than him is coming to set them free. 
And this is coming from a time where it had been 400 years since they heard a prophet. It's been a time in that time that they were become back into captivity, into oppression through the Romans. They've been looking for this Messiah that the prophet Isaiah had told them about. They've been looking for this hope. They've been looking for this way. And this time the way shows up and it has a name. And his name is Jesus. God himself comes down and puts himself in the story to, re- to deliver and restore the people. This time, though, it's not to restore them or bring them out from empires, but through the true villain of sin, to restore their hearts of the people, saying that Jesus is the ultimate way out of the wilderness. Jesus himself actually even chimes in or, or attaches this as to his identity, where he says in John 14, 6, where he's speaking to his disciples, and the disciples would have understood what he is saying here to back to Isaiah, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus, God is man, come down. He's not static or still. He's not a destination or something you need to search for. It's not like going into one of those escape rooms where you got to find all the clues to find the answers. No. Instead, he comes to us. The way finds us in the wilderness. This is a way that it winds and moves itself and meets us in our darkest hours, in our grief, in our pain, in our illness, in our war zones, in our broken marriages, failed relationships, in our addictions, in our sin and brokenness. God's echo still rings true. And he says, comfort, comfort, my people. There's no place the Father will not send the Son to lead us out of the wilderness. We see this in the incarnation story. We're about to to celebrate Advent and walk through that path just in a few weeks, we see this where God sends Jesus down as a little baby to a nobody mother, a nobody father, in a nobody town, poor and meek, to a people in captivity, even became refugees at one time. But he grows to continue to meet people in those margins of society. It's where he lives and abides And what does he do? He makes every one of them somebody because he puts them in the center of the story because that's where he is. There's nothing God will not climb, no road he will not cross to lead us out of the wilderness. The way itself searches us out and leads us back home. This is important. The way doesn't find, we don't find the way. The way finds us. So if we believe that today, if we do, then the question we must ask is, do we believe that he will do it again for us? Do we believe that he's strong enough to do it again? Do you believe he still cares enough to do it again? Do you believe he can do it again? And I know that there are many of us here, especially this past year, who have found ourselves in the wilderness, 
We've been in bad places. And we seems like the road, there's no road home. Maybe the addictions are too strong. The relationships are too badly damaged. The pain is overwhelming. The world is too broken. And we ask, how can this ever be fixed? How can I ever feel whole again? Now, our friends in ancient Israel felt this too, but I think it's true here today. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling with addictions, drugs, alcohol, pornography, addiction to success, needs that just overwhelm us. And we struggle in that space from time to time over and over. And we cry out and say, God, help us, heal us in that space. I need help, but what do, what do we intend to do? And I know that I can speak this myself. I start to struggle and try to figure out a way out myself. I say, God, help me. But then I start taking steps and I get in the way. And I may get a little success, but then a failure finds again. And I just feel defeated and taken out. But I believe it's a lot like this. You, do you remember those like finger trap games that you put your two fingers in, you pull tight? And it, and, it, and it just, the tighter you pull, the harder, harder it grips down and you can't get out. And you're like, how do I get out of this thing? And the answer to it is actually to stop moving, to relax, and it releases. And I believe the same is true with Jesus. The way finds us in the wilderness. We don't find the way out. The best way to work in this space is to not resist what God is going to do in our hearts, to work within us. God transforms us from within and makes us new in that space. Allow him to work and be there for you. He says this over and over. So if you're in that space today, I just want to encourage you that we must become less so he can become greater. When we are weak, he is strong. Allow him to work in that space for us. Now, there, I know there may be some others. I know, actually know there are others, especially in our community here, that have experienced a lot of loss this year. A lot of loss, a lot of pain. And we call this a unconsensual wilderness. We didn't ask for it. We didn't, we didn't bring it on. It found us. And you may feel defeated and feel broken. And how do I get out of this? I'm reminded of the story where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Amazing story. But I think as much as it is amazing that he conquered death and allowed the man to walk out of the grave, one of the most amazing things has happened before. When he gets word that his friend has died, and his other friends, his sisters, Mary and Martha, are just distraught and broken. They say, Jesus, come help us. They cry out, Lord, help and when he shows up, he doesn't just come run in and say, Lazarus, get out of the tomb. He stops. He hugs them and cries with them. And I believe that's how Jesus works within our grief, in our space of pain. Before he sets motion to heal us, he sits with us in that pain. He is with us. And again, it's a space of non-resistance and just letting him be. Lord, heal me. Help me with my pain. Be with me. Be with me. He says, 
Of those who are weary, he will give rest. He is with us in those spaces. Just thinking about his words. Jesus, the way, gives us a map for those of us that are in these wildernesses. If you don't mind today, if you're able and willing, if you, you don't have to do this, if you don't mind closing your eyes and let these words of Jesus come over you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus finds us in the wilderness, and he's speaking. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking here this morning. Somebody needs to hear this, that today is not the last day. This is not the last moment. Your time has not passed, because his truth still echoes today, that he sits with you when, he mourn, when you mourn, he will comfort you. In moments of strife and violence, he calls you a peacemaker, and he gives you the kingdom of heaven. He walks with us and brings us home. He is the way. And he's saying to somebody today, comfort, comfort, my daughter. Comfort, comfort, my son. Comfort, comfort, my people. There is hope today, friends. There is hope today. Just because you might find yourself in the wilderness doesn't mean you're left there. Just let go. Let him meet you there and take you home. This is the wilderness and the way. In this moment, we, every week we celebrate and we remember what God has done through the bread and the cup. This bread, we break it every week, remembering what Jesus did. Y'all, this is the way. This is the ultimate way where he stepped in to history and broke the chains of sin and death and took control. And when we take this bread, and you'll take in a moment, our servers will come and you'll, they'll give you a big piece. When you take that piece, just remember 
that he set you free, that he is there for you. He has done this over and over again. The story still echoes. It is still true. He will bring you through again as he has brought you before. He will bring you through today. And then we also remembered when the cup where his blood is shed for us, and we say that every time we take it, knowing that he took the sin and the pain and the punishment we were supposed to take and brought that on himself and sets us free. So we don't have to feel that pain that one day we'll be all together in his presence with hope and love. I'm going to ask you today, if you're willing and able, our servers will be on this side. You could come down one row at a time and you can meet them over here and go back to your seat and just remember what he's done. Take a moment to pray. As Justin said earlier, if you need to kneel, you need to walk around, you're welcome to. I'll be right over here if you need to pray. But that is open to you today. I hope you have hope and know that he is here with you and he is your way.